and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. We've come to court. There's no one bringing charges. The judge is on our side. The prosecutor is defending us. And we've been freed. Founding Pastor Randy Pope finishes the series, Romans 8, Four Secrets to a Satisfying Life, with the fifth part of this sermon entitled, Rest in God's Security which covers Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. You know, there is an obvious correlation between insecurity and what I'm going to call perceived love. It may be no love, but certainly if there is love, not being perceived. In other words, to the degree that that we sense that we're not loved, to that degree, there's going to be a development of insecurity in one's life. It's expressed in different ways. It can be expressed in physical insecurity, uh, very common things such as withdrawal or uh, maybe lack of confidence uh, and and so forth. Uh, But there's also a second type of insecurity, and it is a spiritual insecurity. And I'm talking there about the sense of, of uh, spiritual doubts and uh, feeling maybe abandoned by God. Uh, all kind of different expressions. Legalism. I don't think we have a, a real concept of how much of, uh, of the dealings that we have in our life that we struggle with are related to the sense of being loved. Psychiatrists and psychologists all seem to agree that There's two things that people have to have uh, to live with normality at all, and that is to love and to be loved. Uh, We just have to know that we are truly loved. Now, this all comes about through this sense of either I'm not loved or maybe this. Maybe I am loved, but I certainly don't sense it. I, what I really think is I may be able to find love from you that are important to me, but I think I have to perform in a way that pleases you to get it. And therein lies a root problem in our spiritual lives. There's not one of us here that does not deal with that to some degree or the other. Our text today is the greatest statement, I think, in all of God's Word to tell us that God is saying, I love you. As one of my children, I love you just as you are. I don't care how much sin might be displayed in our own hearts, and we know the depth of it. But the reality is, it is a challenge. We're in our series, it's in Romans chapter 8. We started this series just at a month or so at a time over the last several years. Uh, Romans chapter 8, in my opinion, there's no greater teaching in all of God's Word for us to see the incredible love of God. Not just these last verses that we're using, I'm talking about the entirety of this chapter. And in doing so, I have entitled the overall series here of chapter 8, Romans 8, Four Secrets to a Satisfying Life. 
Uh, there in your PDF, you can see those secrets. We've walked through the three, and now this series, subseries, is the fourth of those, and it has to do with resting in God's security. It's going to be found in chapter 8, verses 31 through 39, and this week we're in the last verses, 35 through 39. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there instead of review for the sake of time. Uh, there have been five questions that are being addressed in this text. We've already looked at four questions, the answers of which there is nobody that can answer the question in such a way that will not be convincing if you're following the truth of God that God loves us consistently. There's nothing that is going to change that. And so let's look at our fifth and final question, and then we'll read our text, which will be verses 35 through 39. Number five is simply this. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? And again, the answer is, well, there's nobody that can separate us from the love of Christ. And he's going to argue, Paul, the, the author, under inspiration of God, is going to, he's going to argue that case in a very, very sound way. There is no one, there is nothing that can separate us from the great love of our Christ. Now, 35, let's read it through 39. It goes like this. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake, we're being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, as we begin the text... We're going to see that, that uh, the question has to be answered before we can ever even think we can understand the text. The love of Christ, what do you mean? Do you mean our love for Christ or are we talking about Christ's love for us? I'm not going to go into the arguments as to why, but I hope you'll trust this is the teaching of God's Word. It is His love for us. Nothing's going to separate us from his love for us. Oh, there's plenty of things that will separate our love from him, but not his love to us, not at all. In fact, it's maybe best illustrated in a, uh, the story of, of a Christian being persecuted and maybe about to be martyred, or maybe worse, seeing one of their loved ones martyred if they don't deny the name of Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. What happens to the Christian who says, uh, I deny Jesus. I have no knowledge of him. He is not God in my opinion, and I, I don't know what you're talking about, and I'm, I'm through with the God. What happens to that person? It's not true that if we, don't, if we deny him before man, then he denies us. Are we now, therefore, separated from his love for us, we're going to close coming back to that story, and I want to know what you think the answer after hearing what Paul has to say. 
So, two truths that we're going to find here in our text, most, most, most important, critical to our understanding of the Christian life. I look back and I say, if there's anything that I want to have taught to this church, that I want to have taught to my children, that I want my grandchildren to hear and understand, if it's anything that they get, it's this principle that Paul is expressing to us right here. Hear it well. Number one of two great teachings, the love of Christ does not eliminate hardship and suffering. You hear that? It does not. Uh, Let's be honest. Don't most of us truly believe to some degree that it is the great love of God for me that allows me to walk through life without any pain, struggling, suffering, and so forth? And then when the worst of pain and suffering comes, the hardship is overbearing. We can't imagine how anybody can walk through it. Now we're doing it ourselves. And we go, how, how could we do say this? We, in our hearts and hearts, say, where is God? And why does God not love me? Why didn't he care about me? Why didn't he take care of me? Is this the God that I serve? Is this the God that loves? Oh, come on. It's a deep-rooted feeling. It's just innate within us. We tend to think because we have heard, and this church particularly, we've heard that God is sovereign. He decrees whatsoever comes to pass. And in this church, we'll even state it very boldly, He decrees the hardships, the challenges, the pain, the suffering, and so forth. And right there, many say, that's why I don't love my God. Because I don't think he loves me. I think he's proven it just by what he's decreed in my life. There's no God that can love me the way my life is unfolding at this time. Well, according to God's word, throughout, you're going to have to agree, God's word teaches that it's neither through lack of suffering or through extreme suffering, that God loves us more or less. It's not that way at all. In fact, if you were just to take the Bible without any study, understanding, and depth, and so forth, and just say, I'm going to take at face value what I see in God's Word, what you would come to by just looking at God's Word is that maybe the more pain, suffering, and so forth I go through, the more that God actually loves me. That's not biblical either, but that's what you would perhaps lean toward versus where we so often land, well, God must not love me. Well, this, God must really love them. They haven't had this kind of problem. And it goes on and on. That's why I love the statement of Johnny Erickson Tata. You heard me say it if you've been in this church many, many times. She and Steve Estes write a book, and in it they they make this profound statement. God decrees what he hates to what? Accomplish what he loves. He decrees what he hates to accomplish what he loves. So, well, what does he hate? Well, let's look at verse 35. Even as we hate. He says, beginning with the second line here, will tribulation... And so now he's just going to mention all of these different ones. And it stays on the screen. Tribulation, which refers to troubles. Distress, which is anguish. Persecution, 
which is mistreatment. Now he talks about all the lack of provision. He says famine, lack of food, nakedness, lack of clothing, peril and sword, lack of protection. Now just take that list. He says, so those are under the hand of God. So, okay, does that separate you? Do any of those things separate you from the love of God? No. Now the next verse, he comes to verse uh, uh, 36. Let's look at verse 36. It's kind of like a little parenthesis here. He goes back to the psalmist in Psalm 44. He says, for your sake, you're being put to death. Wait, 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 wait. For your sake, we are being put to death all day long. Wow, it sounds like the Bible is saying that that all of these things that he's just described that put us to death or the sense of dying, it's like hopelessness, all day long we were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And then stop there. He picks back up. Now, we're going to skip verse 37 because I want to close with our second truth coming back to 37. He makes a very important point, but I'm going to pick back up verses 38 and 39, and here we're going to see him talk about any other thing that might be imagined, any problems that threat, threaten a, uh, a sense of well-being in life. And so he says here in the next verses, for I am convinced, and he says, neither death nor life, which refers to calamities of life, angels, good spiritual beings in the heavenlies, and verses principalities, evil, supernatural beings, things present or to come, meaning anything in time. And then he says height or death, anything in the places, the spaces of this world as we know it, or any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Point one, there it is. Uh, Christian, you and I have got to get to this point. We got to reckon with the realities that God takes what he hates and we hate. Nothing wrong with us hating it. Nothing wrong with God hating it. Nothing wrong with seeking to avoid when we can any of these things. No. But in God's providence, he says, you got to know this. The love of your Christ is not at all diminished because of your hardships and your sufferings. And if you choose just to accept that, hey, what I feel and what I think is what I'm going to believe, you're in for a hard life. One of a sense of alienation from God. A sense of of hopelessness. You're on this on your own. Until you see the beauty of the bad things that God hates being used in us to accomplish what he loves and what real Christians should be longing for. It takes us to the second And final truth, the love of Christ is seen in his use of these hard things to make us super conquerors. Here's verse 37. But in all these things, all these bad things that just uh, must give us a sense that God must not love us, we actually overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Now, 
what, uh, what is it that, that he loves so much that would cause him to take these things and use them the way he does? He loves us becoming more and more and more into his likeness. He's going to use words like becoming perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He's going to use words like becoming holy and blameless. Or to use the terminology that he uses here, he loves for us to overwhelmingly conquer. What? There's another translation you could look at in other translations that I think is a very good one. It says you're actually more than conquerors. You know literally what it means? Literally it means super conquerors. So apparently there's a conqueror, and that must be good, but there's this thing called a super conqueror. This is what we get to be because of these things we hate so much. All right, help us understand it. Well, God's Word reveals His purpose and what He's doing in our lives through these things. And it is clearly given to us in Ephesians chapter 5. And I want you to hear this. I want you to remember this forever. What is he doing? What is his motive? Why is he doing all these things that we hate? What is this thing he loves to accomplish? He is preparing himself for the greatest gift he could give to himself. That is you and me, his church his bride, being presented to himself, holy and blameless. Now, look at Ephesians chapter 5. You don't have to look at it. I'm not going to put it on the screen. I'll just read it to you. In light of what I just said, Ephesians 5, it tells us that he might present us to himself, the church, in all of her glory, that she should be holy and blameless, super conquerors. You see, the, the reality here is that we think God's plan should be, maybe is, but is now distorted, that his plan is to provide for us the best life possible. There's what God, that is his plan, that's what he's all about doing. The truth of it is, no. His plan, his effort, is to make us holy and blameless. We think that the way that we get to this place of being holy and blameless is we keep working on ourselves until we get better and better and better in the likeness of God. The truth is, God says, no, you can't do that. I will have to do that. And the one thing that's going to do that in you, because it's a broken and fallen world, which is our own sin problem as humanity, is to use these things, hardships and sufferings, to make you who you're to be. Well, what's this thing about super conquerors? What do you mean? Well, he's given this list of things. 
Now, do you know what? As Christians, we can conquer those things. You know how we conquer them? We trust in God, and we say, God, would you allow me to, to be able to rejoice in this? Would you fill me with your spirit? May I have joy overwhelmingly? And there is a way to conquer those things, to walk through it. There have been plenty, plenty, plenty of Christians throughout the history of the world that have had problems that we can't even imagine, and you read their stories, and you go, wow, they conquered that list. They've experienced more than I've ever even thought about, and they are doing better than I am, and the way they rejoice in God, they have conquered those bad things through the power of God in their lives. But we've not seen what he's talking about here. That's a conqueror. Do you know that when a king, he, he can take uh, his troops, and, and he could take his troops into a land, and he could take a people, and conquer them, and leave them conquered, and there it ends. He's the conqueror. But you know what the king would often do? He'd be a super conqueror, and he would capture those that were his enemies, and then he would turn them and repurpose them to use for the good of his own kingdom to accomplish what would be best serving him and his people. That's the word that's used here. What did he conquer? What do we conquer? We conquer this many list of things as God uses them then in our own experience to make us holy and blameless. It's an amazing story. Would you listen to the word of God? 2 Corinthians 4, 17. For momentary light affliction, there it is, light affliction is doing what? Producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. I mean, you're talking about the stuff we hate that's been convincing me that God doesn't love me? It's doing what? It's producing in me this thing called eternal glory? How about Romans 5, 3 through 5? And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. Ooh. Why would we do that? Because knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. And hope doesn't disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Wait, wait, tribulation. You're talking about the things that have been convincing me that God doesn't love me, have been given to me by God's decree in order that what? So that I might become these things that, yes, I want this to be who I am. This is what I'm all, this is what I've, since the day I became a Christian, this is who I've called, been called to be. What have I been thinking? I've been thinking that, no, 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 now it's this world in which I've been placed as a Christian. And God, now you're to eliminate all of my hardships and problems. Just get rid of those things, and I'll just smoothly walk through life, and I'll die, and everything will be great, and then I will have the best life ever. No. We don't become who that person is. One other text, James, chapter 1, 2 through 4. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, 
knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result, that you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Oh, wait, you're talking about trials, the things that have been convincing me that God doesn't love me, and, and really they were designed all along to make me perfect and complete, lacking in nothing? You know, I think if I were a father of a child who said to me, you know what, I, I just can't believe, I can't believe that you love me by putting me in all of these hardships and problems that are, are making me strong and preparing me for adulthood and making me, I, I just can't believe you love me, I can't believe you love me, I can't believe, do you know what I think I'd do? I think I would just say, okay, 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 let's just take it away because the longing of my heart as a dad it's to say, I don't want to see you suffer. Folks, let me tell you, your God does not want to see you suffer. But he wants to see you in the glory of what it's producing. And you become, and I become, his gift to him for all eternity. And that's when we see and understand things we've never understood on this earth. And that's when we become the ones who say, God... Thank you that you didn't spare me from the pain that caused me to say you didn't love me. Oh, God, forgive me. Forgive me. I'll put it this way. You're in my perceived greatest enemies. Become our greatest allies and helping us to become the very people we want to be and to crush the very thing we want to crush sin itself that's the eternal picture I drift in and out of that picture I drift in it and I go oh yeah 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 thank you and then I drift out of it and say whoa wow 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 I understand that you do too but let me tell you it's good I put this in my journal just a thought of my journal, and I thought I'd just share it. I was studying this. Said, God takes our worst of enemies, which he hates, our hardships and sufferings, makes them our conquered servants so as to eventually give to himself the most beautiful gift imaginable, you and me made perfect and complete, holy and blameless, super conquerors. Just remember, Christian, when you and I are going through these problems, let us remember God has got a plan and it is a good plan. Let me conclude. Back to our opening statement. What happens to that guy who denies Jesus? I'll tell you for sure. If a real Christian, and he denies Jesus in the worst of persecution and challenge, loved by his Father, loved by his Savior, oh, they're disappointed in what was missed on that believer's behalf in their denial but not at all shaking the love of Jesus not at all so verse 38 those words for I am convinced Paul begins I am convinced what convinced him some of you are probably asking I want to be convinced that all this stuff is is an indication of God doing a wonderful work and he is a good God in doing it I would love to be convinced how do you convince me by the way when he says I am convinced it's a passive mood in that verb 
It means that something was done to him to convince him. Folks, you're not going to convince yourself. I'm not going to convince myself. He does the convincing. Well, how does he do the convincing? Well, the Bible says it's by faith. He creates faith in us. Oh, faith is what I need to be convinced. Yes, it's faith. Well, where does faith come from? Oh, the Bible's real clear on that. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. How many of you that are observing this service right now, how many of you are saying, yeah, I'm not very convinced? I'm just not that convinced. Let me ask you this, Christian, if you're not a Christian, I understand you wouldn't be convinced. But a Christian, I ask this question, have you been nibbling on the Word of God at best? Are you kind of anemic and weak spiritually because you've not been feeding yourself from the Word of God, coming to be fed by the Word of God? That's what happens. That's what happens. But I'll tell you this. I don't care how weak, I don't care how anemic, I don't care how little you nibble. If you're a real child of God, let me tell you, you are loved. Incredibly loved. And nothing will separate you from the love of God. You got to believe that. Well, I'm through with Romans chapter 8. And all I can say is this, for you that have been a part of this ministry for many, many years, I hope this steady diet of Romans chapter 1 through 8, year in and year out, has produced in you a freedom that the world is missing and even much of the church. And for you that are new in this church, I say to each one of you, you take the advice that that godly man gave to me that I shared at the beginning of the series of chapter 8. What do I do to become a man after God's own heart? How do I become somebody who truly is mature, that truly grows up strong? And his answer to me is my advice to you. Master Romans 1 through 8 as we pray together. Our Father, the great truth of your gospel is that you have done for us on the cross of Calvary what we could not do for ourselves to take away our sin. Thank you for your love that is shown on the cross. Thank you for the love that is described in your word. Give us faith, we pray, faith to trust you, to follow you, to come to you, to become your child, faith to grow as your child. And God, let us feed in such a way that we gain faith that is able to convince us of your love. We ask it in the wonderful name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day. Thank you.